Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. You might be off the opinion that the social media universe is largely unregulated. Let's face it, we've all experienced the nastiness that comes with being online. So I wanted to pose the question today, has legislation kept up with social media evolution? And in today's show, I'm going to explore that very topic. Coming up, social media can be a lawless wild west. How the social networks are trying to protect and moderate users. What to look out for as a public sector marketing pro. And I interview Sarah Kieran, Managing Partner at Medialawyer.ie, and we discuss all of the current legislation to protect organisations and users online. In today's column, I'm discussing how social media can be a literal wild west, stalking, trolling, catfishing, cancel culture, misinformation, harassment, abuse, and the list goes on. Social media can be a daunting, depressing, and sometimes dangerous place to navigate. So who is doing what to protect users and whose responsibility is it? Is it the singular responsibility of the social networks? Is it the role of law enforcement agencies to step in? What about legislators and policymakers in terms of regulations? Or is it up to us as social media users to wholly take personal responsibility? In my view, I believe it is all of them and it is all of us. When I wrote the e-learning course Young Minds Online seven years ago with my daughter Sophie, who was then a teenager, it was aimed at teaching digital citizenship, the safe and savvy and ethical use of the internet to teens and tweens. But I now find myself writing e-learning courses for adults and public sector marketing professionals and how they can protect themselves and their staff online and how they can engage appropriately and also in a two-way conversation with their users. The reality is that social media is moving faster than we can even spell legislation. It is also the case that unfortunately, legislators, policymakers, and law enforcement agencies aren't always up to speed with the social media landscape, the features, the functionalities, and how it can be used and indeed abused to intimidate, extort, expose, or indeed exert pressure. And when we think about Mark Zuckerberg and his vision for Facebook when he set it up all those years ago, he wanted us to connect and share with the people in our lives. But of course, there's always going to be bad actors online. And very often people will exploit any opportunity or gap that they see in the online world. And so the reality is that we all have to take personal responsibility to block, to mute, to report those bad actors if you are feeling threatened, trolled or indeed abused. The same goes for public sector marketing pros. And there's always this conversation that we have, you know, what is the role of government agencies when it comes to muting, blocking or reporting? Surely 
it's they are there in the public interest and maybe we shouldn't be muting what the public have to say. So this is where it's really important to have clear lines of engagement when it comes to social. So social media use and moderating social media use, I believe, is one of the biggest challenges of our time. And it's incumbent on the legislators, the law enforcement agencies, the social networks and all of us to step in and try and be part of that solution. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com So what can you do as a public sector marketing pro when you or your staff are facing abuse online? Well, I've come up with six steps to help you take practical action. The first thing is that you need to have a social media use policy in place. This provides guidance and advice to staff on how to engage with the public on social media. Yes, we know that the work you do is in the public interest and, you know, people will say, hey, that's taxpayers' money, you're working on behalf of the people. But there is a line that should not be crossed and that line is abuse, trolling, or harassment. So you need to have a set of guidelines to understand how your staff should engage with the public and what happens when the public step over that unacceptable social media line. And that is very important. And I know some public sector agencies are, are quite nervous about using the mute button, using the hide button, using the blot block option. But in reality, you have a role to play in safeguarding staff. So really nailing down your social media use policy and how you protect staff is really important. It's also critical then in step number two that you train your staff in the safe and savvy and ethical use of social media. You cannot assume that everybody has a level or a standard of knowledge that is acceptable. And oftentimes you will find that public sector professionals aren't using social media in their personal life. So then when they're expected to use it in their professional life, they don't know what the expectation is, or indeed they don't know what the rules of engagement are. So ongoing CPD training in the use of social media is really important. Step number three then is collating the evidence. Law enforcement agencies, legal representatives and also the social networks will say collate and save and screenshot the evidence of suggested or anticipated abuse. You have to screenshot and date and note the abuse and any other information that you can garner from those accounts, the username, uh, the handle of the account, the time, uh, of when the, the messages are coming in, are they being sent publicly and are you being tagged or are they being sent privately? And so it's very, very important that you don't just delete the abusive messages, but you actually keep a record because you may need them if you might need to report them not only to the social networks, but perhaps to a police force. Step four then is understanding the difference between trolling and abuse and unhappy public service users or citizens. And that's a really important point to make because very often we might receive negativity online during the course of our work and we might feel that it is uh, not rightly placed. 
But you have to really look into that criticism and that negativity and be able to clearly understand the difference between a troll, harassment, and then an unhappy citizen, because there are different approaches that you should take. Number five is review your policy on a twice yearly basis. The social networks are changing, the features are changing, consumer behavior is changing online. So it's really important that you take time out twice a year to review your policies. And then finally, make sure that you are continuously improving your digital communications and your messaging. Because if we go back to a previous point where I talk about an unhappy citizen, perhaps they are feeling not heard. And perhaps that frustration and that anger is coming from a place of perhaps people feeling that you're not listening and really that you don't care. So actually use the information that you're garnering on social media to improve the communications output on social. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, we hear from Sarah Kieran, who is managing partner with Medialawyer.ie. Sarah is a specialist in media law with extensive experience in commercial, public service broadcasting and online publishing. She also specializes in content, social media litigation, IP contract and regulatory matters and is the perfect guest for today's show. Her insights on what laws exist around social media are absolutely fascinating. Sarah Kieran, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. So, give me your big question: Has has the law caught up with social media evolution? That's a good question. You know, the easy answer would be to say no. The law really struggles with it, but actually, I think we're adapt we're adapting to it as well um, and I think with we've had some new law come in recently enough and um, between GDPR and um, this new harassment legislation I think we're starting to get there certainly and um, there have been trouble there has been problems with it but I think that you know society it's only now we're really beginning to understand the real dangers of social media it's fantastic for you know so many people in so many different situations actually funnily enough and um, this morning i read an article about um in relation to the killing of the politician in um the uk last week and the politicians seem to have grabbed onto the fact that they want to get people not to be able to open accounts on an anonymous basis and the article i was reading was arguing against that because of the benefit of for people who are vulnerable people who, you know, living in gay communities in, in countries around the world or, you know, women experiencing domestic violence, how important it has been for them to be able to use the internet anonymously through anonymous accounts. So I thought that was a really interesting argument because, you know, when something serious like that happens, we're really quick to grab onto things. And I think we just need to be a little bit more clever about how we use the laws that we have and enforcing them. 
And I think that comes down to resources, uh, particularly in this country. In my experience, we need to make sure that, you know, people like the Gardaí are properly resourced to be able to deal with this kind of legislation. And I think if we do that, we're probably 90% there. Um, I do, so yes, we probably do need to make some changes, but I think we're getting there. So social media is very personal. We have our accounts on our phone, we have our phones locked. And when we're engaging on social, whether it's messaging or whether it's publicly, it's kind of done from a personal capacity. Obviously, lots of people use it in a professional capacity as well. But what are the laws or are there any laws that protect us from abuse on social media? There are. Yeah, absolutely. And there are two types of distinct law. Uh, there's a civil law and criminal law. So the criminal law we'll be talking about in a little bit more detail, which is the Harassment and Harmful Communications Acts and the Offence Against the Person Act. They'd be the two principal ones. And then we have Incitement to Hatred Act, um, which is they are looking at them uh, changing now and dealing better with things like hate speech, which is becoming a big problem, I think, in this country and um, and then you have he uh, on the civil side you have all our privacy legislation data protection le legislation you have defamation law which applies and you also have um for protecting intellectual property rights we have copyright legislation and trademarks legislation so you know there is a lot of there is a lot of law out there protecting us I honestly think it's down to the user and the cost of litigating and also um, people making complaints. Now, interestingly, in the last couple of years, we've seen a rise of defamation cases in the circuit court. And while I'm sure somebody's doing a PhD or a thesis on it somewhere, it is attributable, I think, to people taking cases in the circuit court realizing that when somebody publishes something about them they can uh, take a, they can take a case and i've seen it used more and more in personal cases there was one a couple of years ago in donegal where somebody was posting about a foster parent uh, on facebook and then there was another recent one of a teacher um who took a case against a parent who who wrote something defamatory about them in a whatsapp group so I think we're beginning to see the legislation being used more, but it's expensive, you know, that's expensive. But, you know, I think the threat of it in and of itself is enough half the time. But, and I think the most important thing is to get an apology and an acknowledgement that it's wrong, if that's the scenario. But I think, again, it comes down to the user because we're very casual in how we use these platforms. I mean, it's not just, we talk about social media, we think about Facebook, but we're talking about WhatsApp groups, we're talking about TikTok, we're talking about Snapchat because things can be recorded on Snapchat, things that we don't necessarily think um, can cause problems, but they can. And every time you publish something on social media, it's the exact same as if you're publishing it um, as you would traditionally in a broadcast or here we are podcasts. Five years ago, we barely knew what a podcast was, for Christ's sake, and here we are publishing for the world at large, as if we're the two of us are having a conversation in our in our offices from home. <laughs> you know, it's it's extraordinary how things have changed, but the law is adapting to it. So, when it comes to public sector staff in particular, um, sometimes 
they will get targeted on social media by virtue of their job or the organization that they work for. We know how difficult it is to get content removed from the social networks when you make a direct complaint. Is there anything that can be done from a legal perspective? Yes, it depends on whether it's harassment or if it's defamatory or if, and so obviously the defamation is the civil aspect of it. I think, you know, if you're tweeting from an official account and you have a particular role within that organization, unfortunately you have to learn that this is part and parcel of the job. If it becomes particularly pernicious and nasty, then you need to take action. And actually in this new online harmful communications, or sorry, I'll give it its proper title, Harassment and Harmful Communications Act, there is a new provision where if somebody publishes or distributes any threatening or grossly offensive communication about another person, that's considered to be harassment and it's become a, a new crime, if you like, and it is prosecutable. Um, again, the problem with that is, is that you need to make a complaint to the guards and that you need to make sure that it's followed up on. Um, you know, in my experience, the guards don't always have the resources and the time to deal with issues like this. But I think you then need to get your organization behind you at a very high level to make sure that action is taken. Now, there are other things you can do. You can block the person who is trying to post these nasty comments. Uh, that would be the first thing I would try to do. Um, I'd be looking at um, things like having terms and conditions of use on your sites um, and then using them to be able to enforce offensive language, racist commentary, things like that, um, gender-based um, comments, all of that kind of stuff that, it, you know, that can be considered to be particularly nasty. They don't even have to be nasty, but, you know, it, it, the, the reality of it is there has to be a certain level of nastiness, unfortunately, um, before action will be taken. I think we will see it coming through the courts shortly enough um, because it is very all pervasive out there. So um, hopefully it'll start to filter through. This law only came into being in January 2021, so it's still hot off the presses in terms of laws. So, you know, it, it will take time. So oftentimes the public will share confidential information relating to them personally via direct message or private message to a public sector body. How careful do these public sector bodies need to be when it comes to GDPR? Okay, really good question. Really careful. You need to be very aware of what's in your data protection policies. You need to be very aware of what the information is. A direct message is considered, I would consider a direct message to be a private message. I'm not publishing it to the world. Obviously privately and something published publicly. Um, publishing something publicly, they take responsibility for the publication of it if they have known or should have known that you know they were publicly publishing something. The problem is that we have gen a generation, more than one generation at this stage, that just don't understand privacy law, as far as I can see, it's the bane of my life, to be honest, because it, it amazes me what people publish online and on social media. 
they they are anyone can find it forever it's there forever it's very hard to get taken down so you know i would be very careful how i would interact with people i would also you know if you're on a professional information route which is what the social platform really is for the organization you're working for you should adopt a sort of a semi-professional i know social media is a little bit more casual but just be careful in terms of don't be so casual that you're inviting people to to provide lots of information you need to look at what the information is that you're getting because some information will be less private than others however if it's sent privately that really doesn't matter you need to have clear and explicit consent to publish and um, so I wouldn't be responding to them in any public platform um, or in a public way if they've sent you a private message. Uh, obviously, you know, things like um, sensitive, what we would have considered to be sensitive personal data, which is now called special category da data under the uh, GDPR, things like health issues, health problems, health, anything to do with health or medical conditions anything to do with um, sexual orientation and disability issues, religion, things like that. Think of the nine grounds of discrimination. All of those particular issues would be more or less, as a rule, I always look at them as being a good indicator as what's considered to be particularly sensitive information. Anything in relation to children is an absolute, it's sacrosanct. You have to be ultra careful in relation to it. Now, Explicit consent does not necessarily have to be written consent, but they must know and understand the use that you're going to put the information to. So you ordinarily wouldn't have that as um, if someone's just sending you DM or providing you with the information. And maybe if they do post something to you and it is on public, just say, just remember, give them a gentle reminder and say, look, just so you know, this is public. And people, if you want to DM me, please DM me at that. Um, that's how I would approach that kind of information if you're concerned that the information being provided. And, you know, often if, you, if, if you're in a situation where somebody's particularly distressed and offering you information, sort of, you know, social welfare situation or in any kind of a medical situation, um, you need to be aware that, you know, they get caught up on things and they may not realise what they're doing, but but you're the adult in the room and you need to take that responsibility and, and show that you're being responsible in how you're approaching things. Um, I often say to, I do a lot of training um, in another sector and I always say, just use your common sense. An awful lot of this is about common sense. So you mentioned WhatsApp earlier. It has exploded, especially during COVID in terms of being a mainstream form of communication for video groups. But we've seen WhatsApp conversations being taken into court cases. What are the laws around receiving WhatsApp messages and being part of a group conversation? Do we need to be careful? Absolutely. WhatsApp groups are toxic. And we only have to look at what the HSD did a few weeks ago saying, don't name children who are COVID positive. You know, why did they do that? Because kids are being bullied. Uh, apparently, parent, the parents' WhatsApp groups are nearly as bad, um, from what I'm hearing. Um, and there have been cases, you know, where things have proliferated out of all control. Um, we had the Carlo Presentation School case uh, last year, I think it was, where um, a message went around to 
the students reminding them that they shouldn't be wearing leggings. All of a sudden it turned into this rumor that teachers were uncomfortable looking at young teenage girls wearing leggings. And it really, excuse the pun, grew legs. And, you know, the, it was completely and utterly untrue. The principal took the approach in the first instance not to get involved because they didn't want to add fuel to the fire. And they felt that if they got involved, they were only providing oxygen to a story. Um, however, it transpired, it was all completely untrue, very upsetting for some of the teachers involved. Um, and there was a press ombudsman complaint upheld against some of the um, articles. So the press ombudsman recently upheld a complaint made by the principal of the school in relation to some of the press articles. Interestingly, um, I was down in a local radio station uh, or giving a course down there recently and they were saying to me they just stayed away from it because they felt it was rumour and it could cause a lot of issues. And, you know, their instincts were right. Didn't stop the tabloid media going after it. But anyway, so you need to look at it in those kind of terms, I think. Um, there was a teacher in in Paris who was murdered over comments made inadvertently by a child that went around in a, a WhatsApp group. His name was Patsy, P-A-T-Y, if anybody wants to look it up. And, you know, it's... <laughs> It's just the level of toxicity. And I think it's because we just approach it in such a casual way and it's become a tool for bullying people. And, you know, people are starting to investigate. You know, there's usually two or three people who domineer the chats or dominate rather not rather than domineer. But, you know, it's just this casualness that has crept into our communication and people reacting. And, you know, WhatsApp groups are, you know, it's the same. Every time you post something on a WhatsApp group, you have to remember it, will, it, it has the ability to go viral. This isn't a private chat amongst a group. They could be your very best friends and somebody sends on a picture that you sent to them thinking you're only sending it to your good friends. And all of a sudden it's all over the place and you didn't mean it to go all over the place. So you just need to be careful with how you use them. So... Defamation law applies, breach of privacy applies. If somebody's persistently harassing somebody or if, again, there's a particularly offensive or threatening manner to the communication, that's when the Harmful Communications Act can come in. So, you know, there are laws that, that apply to that kind of communication as well. So Coco's law is a relatively new law in Ireland. Can you talk a little bit about that? So that's the law I'm talking about. That's the law when the Harassment and Harmful Communications Act. It was really brought in for a number of reasons. We had no um, revenge porn legislation, which they had brought in, I think, as early as 2013 in, in the UK. Um, but we've been legislating and uh, Rory Quinn, the PD, was particularly strong on it. And then Coco was a young girl who was bullied online and her mother basically set up this campaign and that's why it's called Coco's Law. But the, I mean, the two main things that that deals with is that sharing of intimate images must be done by way of consent. The pictures must be taken by consent 
and the sharing and distribution must be made by consent. So it is to stop revenge porn essentially, but any type of, it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be a revenge element to it, uh, but there are people, it stops all sorts of kind of, um, I suppose, unwanted pornography or unwanted sharing of images essentially. So um, there, there are two laws, one is worse than the other. One is taking the photo without consent and distributing it without consent. And the other is where you've given consent to someone to take the image, but you haven't given them consent to distribute it. So when it's distributed or published in any way on a third party platform, then it's a crime. So that's essentially what Coco's law is. And it also brings in this offense of communication uh, harassment, which can be done online or by way of phones. It's quite a broad definition of what it covers. So that's what Coco's law does. And it came in in January 2021. So I haven't seen any prosecutions that I'm aware of. I'm sure some have been taken already. But, um, you know, it is important. The thing, funnily enough, I've had to look at it recently myself in relation to children sharing images. And obviously there's this whole issue of child pornography and trafficking and distribution of child pornography images, which is dealt with under separate legislation, uh, which is the Child Trafficking and Pornography Act of 1998. And essentially, if you take a picture of a child under 17, it can fall under this legislation and it's a crime. What happens here is if the actually Coco's law changed the legislation that if you're under 17 and you share those images of children under 17, the DPP can decide whether to prosecute or not, because obviously what there has been a proliferation of is children from as young as nine sharing images of themselves, sexting images, as we would call them or in intimate images, and there's a definition of what intimate images is in the uh, Harmful Communications Act. But it brings up the issue of what happens if somebody sends you pictures of a, ch of a child, and I, I, um, I work in a programme called Crime Call where we will look at a lot of CCTV and half the time we spend the time looking at the CCTV to decide whether somebody's over 18 or not. Um, and it's very hard to tell what age a child is these days, particularly young girls who are dressing up and it's it's a difficult thing to do. So you can receive an image inadvertently and you can send an image inadvertently. Obviously sending it is worse. The one thing I would say to you is if you are concerned about an image that has been sent to you, just delete it as soon as possible, report it to the platform where it's been sent to you on and if you think it's necessary, make a, a, a complaint to the Gardaí because they have taken cases against people who've received images on WhatsApp um, and they're unsolicited. In other words, nobody was asking for them. And that's and that's your biggest fear about these WhatsApp groups, to be honest, is what are people sending you? And they may think they're sending you a very, very funny joke. But if it's a 16 year, of a 16 year old girl, you're in serious trouble if you send it on. So do not send it on is my uh, free legal advice for the day. <laughs> so stalking is another unsavory side effect of social media. And oftentimes people are stalked by people they know, but behind anonymous accounts, 
what are the protections there from a legal perspective? Again, you're going back to this the new legislation and the fact that they've brought these, if, if there's any grossly um, threatening or grossly offensive material contained in the in the stalking and you need to go make a complaint to the to the guardy under the legislation um they may then go to the social media platform to get the person identified through their ip address it's not an easy thing to do is my understanding the guards have to go and get a court order if you wanted to do it yourself you can go and get what's called a Norwich pharmaca order which is an injunction compelling the social media organization to do so um there was a recent case of lisa's lust list the girl who ran, runs that uh, or the woman rather who runs that site and she took um looked for an orange pharmaca order against facebook to identify somebody that was harassing her persistently through her accounts um so you can do it the Norwich pharmaca order route which was the only route available to her at that time because she took it before this law came into being uh, it would have cost her a lot of money because she would have had to go to the high court to get the order. So you're talking serious amount of fees. Um, this, if there is, again, if you can prove that it's grossly offensive or threatening or you felt that that, that way that you were being that threatened, the guards can take action. Um, so that's a really good advancement for it. But it's, it's stalking, we call, call harassment. And under the, if there's no gross threatening or grossly offensive nature to the communication if somebody's doing it more than once from the same account there's an element of persistency which we would probably call it for simple harassment which comes under section 10 of the offenses against the person act i'm spouting out the law here now but that's just to let you know that those routes are there they're available but again you have to go to the guard the um you need to take notes you need to keep records you need to um, keep screenshots of stuff, build up a case yourself so that you're presenting them, you're presenting them with the evidence that they can take a case basically. Um, and that's what I would do if I was advising somebody how to do, how to act or what to do about it. You have given us so much free legal advice and I, I really appreciate it, but it's an absolute minefield. Um, what final advice would you leave us with after all of that? Oh, <laughs> just be careful in how you, if you're using official accounts, just be careful about, don't be casual because you're not using it in a casual way. In relation to your own accounts as well, be careful, don't get drawn into things. Um, you know, think about what you do. Don't post things. You know, it's a great rule of thumb. Don't post anything on social media you wouldn't want your granny to know. Um, but more so than that, if you think that you do have an issue, there are avenues and there are laws there to protect you. So use them. Um, and the more that they're used, you know, the more we're going to see people understanding them and, and knowing that they're there. Um, and taking steps. There's great websites out there giving advice now. I um, And I usually send people to young people's websites because they're just so much better. So there's Webwise, there's Spun Out, Women's Aid, Men's Aid. They all have brilliant ways of how to deal with harassment on social media, which just don't 
you know, you may think you're in the public sector, but these are the guys who are on the cold face and who are dealing with this and they've got really good advice to give, I have to say. So, um, and, and ask for help. And if you're feeling that you're being bullied by somebody online, you know, block them. There's nothing to stop you from blocking them. Don't give them. And, and the other thing, sorry, the rule of the first thing is don't respond to them. Don't give them airtime. That's all they're looking for. That would be my one serious piece of advice. Sarah, thank you so much. Um, it's There's so much to think about and so much to unpack. But I think what you've given us are really kind of clear rules of engagement mm -hmm. that we should take. And you're right, sometimes common sense goes out the window. And then we see the, the after effects. Um, it's nice to know that the legislation is catching up. Um, and that there are cases being taken. I know it's cumbersome and going to the Gardaí can be difficult, but if people feel that it's of such a nature that they're afraid or it's bothering them, then maybe they should. But I just want to thank you so much. I think that's been so insightful and it's been a lot of free, free really highly experienced legal advice. So thank you so much. Right. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. I want to take this opportunity to quickly remind you about our brand new social media bootcamp that is coming in 2022. So this is a series of five workshops where I'm going to take you through the 10 tactics that will work right now to help you increase organic reach and engagement on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and on TikTok. So if you want to refresh your social media knowledge or even elevate it and take it to the next level, then this bootcamp is for you. So they will be five workshops. Each workshop is three hours and you will get a mini social network plan and also how to tutorials with each of those social network strategies. So come and join me. Go ahead and jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com and search for our bootcamps. As always, I give you free resources in every show, and I want to remind you about our ebook. It's been getting some great traction. 151 of you have already downloaded it in the past seven weeks. So, this ebook is all about digital marketing for public sector and how it's evolving, how we need to throw out some of the old tactics and embrace some of the new tactics. So if you jump over to our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash digital marketing, you will get access to it. And you are also invited to book a free career guidance call with me after you download the ebook. Also a quick reminder that the Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit on-demand ticket is now available. We have all of the sessions from over the two days available to you to buy so you can watch them on demand and you get lifetime access for just 200 euro. So again, head over to our website. If you enjoyed the show and if you are enjoying being part of our community, I'd really love you to help spread the word. Your advocacy and your testimonies and your reviews are going to work so much better than mine. So I'd really love if you could share it with a public sector pro that you know. And as always, if you haven't already, it's great if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel. But if you prefer to listen to podcasts, as I do, then make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. 
I'm Joanne Sweeney. This is the Public Sector Marketing Show, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.